joining us today, a special Monday episode, and uh, kind of pertinent because I had a very interesting conversation yesterday with the president of the Board of Medical Quality Assurance here in California. And I will sort of walk you through all my concerns. Uh, I will just say it was a reassuring conversation and uh, sort of a model for maybe how people should uh, manage differences. I mean, this I, is always my instinct when I see particularly professional peers out there disagreeing with me to reach out with them and just try to have a conversation. Now, some of the cowards will not come on the phone, which I find astonishing. And those people sort of declare themselves. But uh, this young attorney came right on the phone and she was quite reasonable. And I will detail for you my concerns. And of course, we will take your calls. We were out on uh, Twitter spaces. You just raise your hand there and you'll be streaming out on multiple different platforms. And when I bring you up, you are consenting to do so. I'm watching you all over on the Rumble Rant as well as on the Restream. So uh, with that said, let's get right to it. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So I would argue that the way we manage our relationship with YouTube was another example of reaching out, trying to get people to be reasonable. And it's often the case that people will be reasonable if you're reasonable. So we are still trying to get a closer relationship with YouTube so we can be very clear about what parameters. This has been the one thing I've been asking for, both from the medical board and from YouTube and anybody else that wants to have so much control over medical information is please either let me check in with you to make sure we're in the right zone so we can talk about it or be very explicit with me what that corridor is so I can try to stay there. I may bounce on the bear, you know, on the parameters somewhat, but I'll, I'll happily try to comply. My job is to, my desire is to do good, not to cause a problem. And that was one of the common grounds that the president of the medical board uh, and I got to, which is she is very interested in physicians doing good. And uh, let me get her name for you. I feel, I'm sorry, I did not come prepared with that because that's unfair. You know, it's something Christina interesting Lawson. though. Mm. When, when yes, we Christina. tried to be reasonable with YouTube at the very beginning during yes. COVID-19, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we didn't get through to anybody because well, nobody was at work. Well, two things. Nobody and it was, was at work. It was just a big electronic clusterfuck It was Christina there. Daniel Lawson. She's an attorney. Her dad was an internist up in Santa Barbara. She's very sensitive. But, you know, he's from my era, and she's very sensitive to what decisions she's making affects physicians. She is, she's in an interesting position in that the medical board is uh, 
Oh, this is interesting. So hold that up there for a second. The medical board is stuck between the patient advocacy groups and trying to protect or at least serve the community that they're actually supposed to be regulating, which is the physician community, and keep the so-called good doctors empowered while the not-so-good ones are perhaps sanctioned or at least are schooled on how to improve their performance. So here's Christina Lawson. And she says, you know, have you thought to do so? And um, I said, absolutely. I, I, I DM'd her immediately. And I said, um, kind of we get on the phone. And she got on the phone like four hours later with me. It was Sunday afternoon. She spent 45 minutes with me and uh, was a delight. Uh, she was a lovely person. And that's, you know, that's the thing is that most people are good people. Most people are trying to do a good job. And this is what followed up afterwards. Uh, so... There we go. She's saying exactly. We should retweet that, guys. I don't know that I saw that one. That is. Uh, can we do that, Susan? You see what's up there on the board? So retweet that. I don't think I caught that one yesterday. And she, um, yeah. Oh, maybe I did. Did I? Oh yes. Yeah, you yes, did. It sounds. Like, yes, looks like I did. Right there. Okay. And I heart. I remember. I liked it also. Okay. That's the one you want to retweet? No, no, we did. I did it. I, I didn't. It didn't look that familiar to me, but I guess I did. So uh, let let me kind of dig into what this was all about. So I almost don't know where to start. L let me just say, Caleb and I, before this present stream started, we're talking about how people on YouTube say all kinds of extreme things, both politically and sexually and aggressively. Look at the world I live in at your mom's house. I mean, that is not even, that goes just fine. And there are plenty of political YouTube channels out there that for the most part get by with some extreme positions. And yet, as soon as physicians talk about disagreeing with one another in good faith, that immediately triggers everyone's anxiety. And that is what is insane, frankly. So here's what got me uh, to the, uh, the board uh, in this good faith conversation, which was that 2098 was designed. In fact, I'm going to pull it up and read parts of it to you so you understand uh, kind of where my concerns are. And then I will sort of get into the details of it. Okay. They say that um, uh, unprofessional conduct for a physician, disseminate misinformation or disinformation related to COVID-19, including false or misleading information regarding the nature and risk of the virus, its prevention and treatment, and the development, safety, and effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines. So just on that alone, uh, the CDC put up there again what the CDC admits about the myocarditis thing. If I had said that a month ago or two months ago, that could have been misinformation because the CDC had not yet admitted that they were seeing a signal. So first of all, anyone that looks at data aggressively could potentially put themselves in harm's way. I'm guessing, having spoke to uh, Christina Lawson, that there will be a way to do it, to, to frame it, so they won't have an issue with that. So I'm hoping for that. Uh, disinformation means misinformation that the licensee, where'd it go? Oh, shoot, that the licensee deliberately disseminated with malicious intent. So malicious intent is part of this thing. So I, I don't know many people that are saying things that I disagree with. I mean, like, for instance, I think you all know that I'm not just skeptical. I just know that at least the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, these things just don't really work. They may do something, but they not worth continuing to talk about and struggle with compared to things like molnupiravir and monoclonal antibodies and packs of it and these things. And, and I'm telling you, it's the difference between somebody, I, and I've seen now now hundreds of cases of COVID, bad COVID, mild COVID, I've seen everything. I, and I've treated a lot of it. And it is a very big difference between giving somebody a medication and going, 
mm, maybe that did something. They kind of got better anyway. Mm, it took a while, whatever. And and also, by the way, seeing it not work and somebody's get very sick versus giving somebody a medication and within 24 hours, they're significantly better. I mean, like dramatically better every time I give it, every time I give it. So that's just different clinically. So that's been my clinical experience. So um, what was I saying? Oh, so I don't believe that anyone who who pushes early treatment has malicious intent. This is just a clinical disagreement. Now, I don't know if they haven't seen as much COVID as I have or what. Susan, you're leaning into your mic there. Just so Stacey Anderson on Facebook said, ivermectin saved my dad. Did or didn't? I, I can only I mean, tell you. I can. I, it worked that, for some people. That's a disagreement. And, and all I can tell you is there is such a marked difference between something that maybe might have worked and something that just stops this thing right away. Yeah, of and, course. And And that's the difference between what we have now I mean, I personally benefited from the monoclonal antibodies where I, in, you know, in an, in an hour of the infusion was feeling dramatically better. Literally, I told the nurse who gave me the infusion in my home, which they were giving for free. The government bought everything and they will give it to everyone for free. He was, uh, he said, I said, look, the, the colors are really getting brighter in the room. It's uncanny. And he said, I hear that all day long. People feel better. Okay. So misinformation means false information. This is the part that bothers me. So this is what we get into that is contradicted by contemporary science, contrary to the standard of care. So this measuring stick of the standard of care being the standard against which misinformation will be measured is what I expressed to her for a good 30 minutes was my gravest concern. And she listened very carefully and diligently and heard me and, and is thoughtful about it. So I, I appreciate that. What, what, what more do we want from one another? But an attempt to kind of reach a consensus about how to do things best for patients. Now, I know there are people on a rampage against her and against Board of Medical Quality Assurance. That is not me. I wasn't there when all that happened. I don't know what happened. I, I'm sorry that that conflict is, is underway for all parties involved. And um, maybe we can do better going forward. That's what I'm going to try to do. So here's my concern about standard of care. When I first arrived at uh, Los Encinas Hospital in, is this, what are you putting up there, Caleb? That's the quote oh, that's from the that, bill. That's what, what I just read, yeah. Yes. Okay, so when I arrived at Los Encinas Hospital in 1985, I was an internist and I was sort of, I got all the medical stuff that was laying around the hospital in the chronic units and the unit, you know, people had been there for many years. And amongst those patients were people treated with the standard of care of 20 years previously or 30 years previously. And that standard of care included something called psychosurgery. One of those psychosurgeries, you know, as frontal lobotomy. The guys that got, that invented that got a Nobel prize for it. It became such a standard of care. These wild people uh, literally carried the spikes in their coat pocket and would push it up, you know, hammer it into the skull above the eye here in patients' bedsides and sweep the, pipe, the spike around to dislocate the frontal lobe. The really sad part of that story is the neurosurgeons were so freaked out by what they were doing, they became silent, which is what physicians tend to do when they get scared. We get quiet. We, we, we just go freeze in place. Those guys became the standard of care. That, that is what, you know, that is what people were doing standard of care. Now I acquired all those patients when I, when I arrived and they were a disaster. 
it's not just the immediate aftermath. The brain develops something called gliosis, and it forms a, a massively expanding scar that eventually replaces part of their parts of their brain. It's a disaster. It's a catastrophe. That was the standard of care. If if the neurosurgeons had stood up at the time and said, uh, "Hey, man, this is not okay," guess what? Misinformation as compared to the standard of care. Then now fast forward. It's the 1990s. And I'm fighting hard to treat the opioid addiction, uh, particularly the chronic pain patients that were getting polydrug addicted and were just were a mess. Uh, a few cases were uh, adjudicated where physicians were found civilly or criminally guilty. This was in North Carolina, Florida, and California. Civilly or criminally guilty, not malpractice, personally, civilly or criminally guilty of inadequate, of patient abuse by not adequately treating pain. Now, as I said, patients, uh, physicians, we freeze when we see stuff like that. We all froze, including myself, and we became unwilling to treat pain. We sent all of our, our pain to the pain management team. The pain management world at the time, I actually give a one-hour lecture on this, uh, had determined that felt like they were a white hat. They were a heroic profession that were going to do away with all pain in the United States. Nobody should ever have pain of any sorts, and we needed to fight against something called opiophobia, fear of opiates. Now, at the time, they were killing my patients one after another. Many continue to do so today, but back then it was ridiculous. They would give them the standard of care by that community became pain is the fifth vital sign. Think about that. Your pulse is not is only as important as your as your pain assessment. Pain is what the patient says it is, and pain controls what the patient says it is. And that's it. You don't even really need a doctor. The patient could just say, I need that dilaudid, I need that oxycontin, I need some Demerol. And that's the way in Florida a lot of the pain pain teams functioned. Now, my patients, addicts, were profoundly harmed by this. Some of them have never recovered. Many of them are still in the streets. So this was a catastrophe. And I fought against it for 15 years and was told, and by the way, the, the standard of care got adopted by the Joint Commission of Hospital Accreditation, the California Medical Association, and the Board of Medical Quality Assurance, and the Department of Mental Health. So I was attacked by all of these organizations when I stood up and said, this, some, this is not good. This is bad. We need a different approach. And the way they found a way to came, come after me, imagine this. My heroin addict patients, when they were in withdrawal, we obviously have better ways to do this now, but then there would be three days of discomfort that they mostly didn't even remember. It was not that bad. We had, we had ways we could manage it. I never, never once did these words come out of my house, come out of my mouth. How are we going to treat these opiate addicts? I can't get them off heroin. No, easy, no problem. Off in five days, three days of discomfort, but tolerable. In any event, because they were uncomfortable, literally the Department of Mental Health and the Joint Commission of Hospital Accreditation came after me because I wouldn't give a heroin addict opiates when they were uncomfortable in heroin withdrawal. That's how insane the standard of care was, and it killed untold thousands and caused the opioid epidemic we're in right now. And then when finally people started taking legal action against the physicians that were overprescribing and against the drug companies that were duplicitous in all this, the doctors again froze in place and told the patients whom they had rendered addicted, get out of here, you're a bad patient, I can't prescribe to you anymore. And when you do that, that was the standard of care. And when you do that to opiate addicts, 
they have to get the opiate somewhere and they go to the street, they get heroin and fentanyl, and then they die. And that's that was the standard of care. So I think you're gonna understand why a threshold of standard of care concerns me greatly. So a few weeks ago, standard of care would have been, you can't talk about myocarditis in young males because there's no evidence for that. It's not the standard of care. Standard of care is 12 and above vaccinated, period, end of story. For instance, even right now, they're saying that uh, three months after Omicron is when you should get the vaccine. My experience has been people are highly immunologically uh, 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 effectively not, you know, they don't get reinfected within six months. That's been my experience that, that unless you took Paxlovid, interestingly, if you took Paxlovid, I've been seeing people get it again at six weeks and eight weeks. So I'm wondering if Paxlovid affects our immune response to Omicron a little bit, but the average patient that just goes through Omicron, I've been seeing them essentially have no recurrences for six months. So why three months? Why the standard of care is three months? Where'd we come up with that? We've done no studies on humans. All the studies were done on mice. Where did we get that three months from? Why? Why? And so we have all these things, especially now in the aftermath of COVID, where a lot of things have been determined by fiat to be the standard of care. You've heard uh, Dr. Alexander tell us about how the six feet distance is social distancing, which Dr. Uh, Kelly Victory has been telling us forever was made up. Dr. Alexander was there in the NIH when it was made up and it became the standard of care. Standard of care has got to have adequate science behind it, or, or it needs to be something that we discuss in vigorous debate publicly and that, and that people are free to do so. So these, these were my concerns. I, I raised all of this with um, Christina and she, she heard me. She heard me and, and I, I said, look, the one thing that would make things a lot better is if we could just have somebody to call or someplace to go to to check in and do, are we okay? Do you need to talk to about this? Are, are my am I out of line? Can I correct something so so we're not later addressing a complaint? And by the way, when you have to address a complaint to the Medical Board of Quality Assurance, it is dealt like a a police action. I mean, you have to. It's as though you're def often hire an attorney. And it's as though, you know, you have had a criminal uh, accusation. You have takes to, hours and hours oh of God. your time. Remember, oh Kelly says like 80 hours of her time. Yes. And, and I used to have. I mean, you can't save lives with those 80 hours. You oh. have to f chase paper. It, it, it makes people want to get out of the profession is what it also does. Um, but the, um, the other thing about these 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 situations, the, the complaints, she was telling me that I, you know, I was I would get spurious, nonsensical, um, ridiculous, you know, unfounded complaints when I worked at the psychiatric hospital. I would just be happen to be someone in the room with a patient that was terribly unhappy or something, and boom, you would get the complaint. Uh, and so, and that, and it was, and it's horrifying. You literally think to yourself, "This could be it. This is the last. My license is going to be gone now." And you, you have no people there, no one to talk to. They don't respond. You're just sending paperwork back and forth. Now, the reality is, as the president uh, pointed out to me, that only about three percent of them are really uh, a problem. But that's what uh, my my fear right now is. That's with her at the helm. What about the next person that comes in? Maybe that person has an entirely different personality or a different axe to grind or who knows what a political agenda. And it could be an entirely different experience now with this expanded capacity to attack people that take issue with a standard of care. S standard of care, generally speaking, is the standard because it's the best. 
You know, I, I always tell people that one of the one of the terrible problems with celebrities is they go after special care, the better care, special doctor, all this kind of stuff. All special things mean is that they're not sustained at the standard of care and they are almost always substandard. But to say that somebody is is um, publicly addressing the shortcomings of the standard of care is different than advertising yourself that some than somebody who gives provides so-called special treatment. Whenever you see special treatment that's way outside, I, the standard of care is standard of care because we can prove it and it's the best. Now, the problem right now with the standard of care is a lot of it is based on non-science, spurious science, uh, fiat and, and, and made up stuff. And so that is why I am, I am very, very cautious about, about uh, this situation. But I am persuaded that it will be used in good faith uh, I will mm, I'll describe talk. why. Well, one of the reasons is, as um, the president pointed out to me, is that they already have the authority to do whatever they want when somebody is harming patients in any way. They have full authority to do that. This is just sort of laying it out in a little more detail. So in a weird way, that was reassuring. What was the other thing, Susan, you were saying? That What? What was the, what was the other thing you were, did you mean? No, I meant like, what did she say exactly that, you know, made you believe that, be persuaded? That she listened to all of this that I've shared with you and took it in and gave some good feedback and said she would, you know, contemplate all this and she understood. Just having somebody say, I understand why you're afraid and why this, why this would be bothersome to you is massively impactful. Is there a way for you or the public to go and listen to hearings on this and, and have a voice? Uh, yes. Uh, I believe, let me look up something right now that somebody sent me. You would have to send letters to the governor, essentially, to get him not to send, not to sign the bill. Let's see. Uh, let me look here. I mean, if it's done for the right reason and it doesn't turn into a, you know, a censorship ploy to stop people from talking about how bad the vaccine is or... You know, doctors have to be able to look at their information and make their own judgment. They say, right, particularly medical professionals should write veto letters and call the governor's office. So that's what people can do. There's no hearings. It's no, already but I mean, done. What specifically is in it that we need to know as well? Like, you know, you get these propositions when you read them on the, the ballot and they're so confusing and they always try to trick you. I mean, can't we get information on exactly what it's going to do and how it's going to affect all doctors mm. and people in the media that are doctors or is it going to affect anybody in the media? You know, are we suddenly not going to be able to speak freely about using? I don't think so. I don't think there's going to be a problem that way. J judging by. But shouldn't they put something in writing and then let us decide if we need to write a letter to veto? Say that again, shouldn't what? They should let us see what they're going to be, what's being put in writing, so we know what... I've seen it. I just showed it. Caleb just put it up. He put the bill up on the screen. And does it scare you? It did before I talked to them. And but, for the very reasons I just spent the last 30 minutes explaining. But it's also a lawyer you're talking to. You know, they're yeah. very persuasive. Yeah. And sometimes full of shit. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but she had a doctor, a physician, a father, and she was, you know, volunteering this job and was very interested in... Medicine being Yeah, but who's well to done. say somebody's not going to take over? And Well, that's what worries me, that somebody's going to come in after her and, and start using this standard of care measure. As, and as, then become an authoritative knows. dictator in the well, in the medical community. But they could do that already. Everybody. <laughs> Judging by what she was telling me, she was like, they, they, we could already do that if we wanted to. No, true. 
But I think also having a voice and getting people behind you will maybe direct it in the right direction so that we don't have to fight to have a voice in this country. It's just, we, if you're. I think you're getting a little paranoid. No, I think that you, I, I didn't realize the power of Twitter this week. I was really proud of the fact that we didn't just have a bunch of people yelling at you and into the wind and in caps, but, um, I love the fact that you got concerned about something and somebody responded to you. So um, as a citizen, but also as a leader of a community of people that want good medical care and information without being horrified by panic porn or whatever. We don't want misinformation. We we don't want people going out and killing people with bad drugs or whatever, of course. Or giving, you know, there's a lot of reasons to have this bill, good reasons, but not everybody should be affected by it if they're just doing the right thing. That was what I was was um, assured from the president that that would certainly be the case. Well, we'll see. It's already passed. There's nothing you can do to unpass it. Oh, um, he signed it. No, he didn't sign it. Yet, as far as I know, I mean, you can try to get him not to find it and sign it one. He's never responded to anything ever. Once they put stuff, on, if, if it's more laws, he signs it. I, You're talking I, about Gavin Newsom. Look, what I told her was that physicians are so beat down and so miserable and and so powerless that it's just more. It's just more of this. Anything to do with an attorney, we're scared. We don't want to hear about it. We're trying to help people. We're trying to do good, and to to be crushed by insurance companies and regulators and the state and the board and anybody else. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And she did not disagree. She did not disagree. And, and I used, you know, that language, essentially. So uh, somebody wants to know how you talk without your mouth moving. I know, but Jerry said <laughs> I'm, I'm smart because I yeah. ask all the right no, questions. No, Thank that you, was Jerry. Good. I appreciate no, no, no. it. it was well, good. It, I was listening to you the other day, and I said, what can we do to get the word out and, and make change? You know, and it's not we have a voice, which on Twitter, apparently we do. So and. This has changed in the last couple of years. So I'm I'm very proud of the fact that you're willing to stick your neck out there and not just spend the weekend with your, your wife and your kids and yeah. your dogs and, and ignore it. So I'm glad that you had an I'm glad she called. I'm excited. Yeah. And I I heard the conversation briefly and I it just I understand that you're trying to create I'm trying a, to create a collaborative community, which is how medicine for the 40 years that I've been a doctor, has it always has been. And, and the fact that it's breaking down into camps, much like everything else political, is insanity. It's insanity. It's not how it works. It's not how our, our things work. That's why I speak to people that have been silenced. I'm just, that's my immediate impulse to hear them out. And it's why I also I will talk to people on the, regula, the regulatory side as well. So let's do this. Um, I want to take calls. I mean, this is something you know about. Yes. If you're going to go into politics, you know about this. Yeah. This is your forte. So yes. you they sh- you should have a voice. Mm. Uh, but also, you shouldn't if, be if in I politics. Can, if I can say, I think that it's, you know, Drew coming from the medical side, it's also, it's such a very collaborative environment that he's always looking for something positive that he can, he can pull from this. Whereas it's yeah. Susan, as you know, someone that studies history and government for a very, very long time, it's a great interest in it is probably thinking about the Patriot Act and how the Patriot Act was used under the guise of, well, this is the, for the good of everyone. And then now we're kind of yeah. dealing with it. And so people like Susan and I 
<laughs> we don't ha- we haven't seen that collaborative thing where they don't end up we give yeah. you an inch and they they always take a mile in our minds that's that's right. what i'm thinking of. i, I don't so disagree with that i don't disagree with it yeah, i have hope that's what it is i don't disagree yeah. that you know they california legislator has never found a law they didn't love i mean any more they just want right. to <laughs> lawyer law us up with everything until we you know we can't walk around anymore so this is not an unfamiliar experience but the fact that there is an opportunity to sort of have a human contact and be reasonable in how these things are are um, brought to life. Uh, well, well and then I don't want to see, see New York follow suit. You know, I don't want them to suddenly well, say doctors can't people, are, are, people are kind of waking up to how insane California yeah, is. We're, so we're, it's, it's, we're in a mess. They, as soon as Newsom went out to say, I'm going to bring California to the rest of the country, he was rejected. So I, that I saw was a very positive thing. We, we are... <laughs> we are not in good shape in this state. So, okay, uh, let me take a little break. And after this break, I will start taking your calls. And uh, I'll ask Susan if she has any more questions before we get to those calls right after this. I think we have found the holy grail of skincare. Genucel has absolutely changed, certainly my skincare regimen. I like that vitamin C serum, the under eye creams, skin nourishing primer. Susan loves the eyelash enhancers, uses it on her eyebrows as well. Genucel has everything to make us both feel and look amazing. Best part, the quality of the products. Using pure ingredients like antioxidants, copper peptides, and a proprietary calendula flower base, Genucel knows how to formulate products to perfection without irritation. For Susan, she hates that annoying dry area under nose during allergy season, like right here. She's tried everything, but no matter what, the skin is flaky and dry. Nothing seemed to help until she started using Genucel's Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer soaked right into the skin. She was hooked after one use and now loves all of their products as well. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Right now, you can try Genucel's most popular collection of products and see what I'm talking about for yourself. Go to Genucel.com and enter code DREW for 10% off. That is G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, and the code is D-R-E-W. The Parallel Economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> he came right. 
Oh, there he is. <laughs> they are also made with the Coriolis versicolor mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com, P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, petclub247. So I just saw something on the Rumble Rants where uh, Lucas Ficari said, if Drew pushes Vax, then Drew is on the wrong side of history. So... (laughs) I want to be super clear. Hey, Lucas. Yeah. W- what does pushing vaccine mean, right? So the vaccines have had a very substantial impact on the population that we should have been protecting from the beginning in this pandemic. We should have been doing focused protection on people that are very elderly, for sure over the age of 75. And in that population, Whatever untoward risks there are from this vaccine, it is worth that risk to prevent the serious complications of COVID in that population. And although it doesn't prevent infection, it clearly helps cause milder disease. Now, Dr. Victory will argue with me about that. And, you know, maybe the, I don't, I don't see that. I see my vaccinated patients having much milder disease and I have therapeutics to throw at them on top of that. So things have been going very, very well for my elderly patients with COVID. Over the age of 65, I would say it's about the same thing, about the same risk benefit ratio. Now, when you get down into the 40s, it's much, it is much less clear. And I am categorically against mandating vaccines of young people where the risk-benefit analysis is not clear. I don't see it. The, the probability of serious outcome from the disease is remote, and there is yet some concerns about the vaccine itself, particularly as it pertains to young males, Moderna, and myocarditis. So, hmm, maybe we ought to just hold. Dr. Paul Offit, one of the very most aggressive vaccinologists and virolo- virologists, went on the record a couple of days ago and said, we should not be vaccinating young males with the Omicron vaccine. The risk reward is not there. I agree with that. That's not the standard of care. Standard of care was issued by the CDC who said that 12 and above should all be vaccinated. Why? When Dr. Walensky, the head of the CDC, was asked about Dr. Offit's position, why was there a difference? Her response was staggering. Her response was, well, we had to simplify our messaging, so we're just going to keep it 12 and above to keep it simple. That is not medicine, everybody. Medicine is about making individual decisions for the given risk-reward of that given individual patient made usually, though these days it has not been so, with a physician who has the best interest of that patient in mind as he or she makes that decision. This sweeping... To keep messaging simple, we might put men at males at some risk. That's insane. That's insane. So that's again another. That's I want to be very clear that I'm not pushing vaccine. I have a somewhat nuanced approach to vaccine. Still could be wrong. There still could be higher risk than we know. I mean, you talk to the Steve Kirsches and the Robert Malones. There's and even Doctor Doctor Victory. They're seeing more risk than I am. 
but I tend to rely a lot on my clinical experience. I've been practicing long enough that I've seen A, the standard of care change dramatically, as I've told you, and B, things that I see clinically that doesn't fit with the so-called data. Look at the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI. Because of that, women were torn off hormones. I've never seen so much misery as the women we took off hormone therapies, hormone replacement therapy back, I guess it was 20 years ago now, because the Women's Health Initiative was the final answer. And we were no better than witch doctors if we kept people on hormones. Turned out that was categorically wrong categorically wrong and that was the standard of care and if i addressed that standard of care back then i could have run afoul of ab 2098 so these are why i worry about these things and just know that it has been my experience that the my clinical impressions are more accurate than the data in everything i've seen so when that when clinically i see things i'll rely on it now it doesn't mean i couldn't be wrong the next to go around it could be but things like the risk reward for a 75 year old plus, I'm seeing it clearly there. The things like what's happening to some 20 and 30 year olds, making me nervous. I've seen some bad reactions. They've all resolved, they've all been okay. Um, but I've seen some very disturbing things, some frightening things in otherwise healthy people at very limited risk. Now, how pervasive, what's the real data? I, we're still trying to work. I think it's gonna be another year before we really know. And it's probably gonna be, not that bad. It's probably going to be not that bad. That doesn't mean there aren't people who are severely harmed by this. There will be people, when you, when you do a treatment or a vaccine on billions of people, there will be some bad outcomes. It just will be. Susan, what's up? Sucks. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. But we can't let, you know, it, it's, it's very much what worries me. The doctors that have seen some horrible catastrophes in COVID in young people are biased by their clinical experience, much the way people that have seen horrible vaccine reactions are biased by their experience. We've got to really kind of look at, you got to look also at the data. It's what reinforces your clinical impressions. And the data evolves and it usually gets to the right place, but it doesn't always start at the right place. Okay, let me take some calls. I think Lucas Ficari lost both his grandparents after the booster. Mm, that I've not seen. Old people have bad. What was the what was the reaction? That's well, what that's what he yeah. But said. he doesn't say of the booster. He said shortly after the booster. How old were they? And what were the causes of death? Yeah. So, I'm sorry for your loss, though. Yeah, it's awful. Fucked up. But you, you know you <laughs> you have to remember that the average life expectancy of a male admitted to a nursing home is six months. You have to remember that. Yeah. And in terms it's of so years, hard, in terms of years, so hard. But like, in terms of years of lost life. What happens to a 17-year-old is a different decision than what happens to an 85-year-old. It's just a uh, Maybe it was related, but we don't know. I mean, that's why we're, we're questioning it now. Yeah, that's right. And we want people to have consent and know what's we'll going on. We'll see if you can see what his uh, answer is. I can't quite see it there. All right, let me go to some calls in the meantime. This is uh, Wheezy. Keep an eye on it. We've got Wheezy a chance to come up here. Wheezy. Wheezy, yeah. <laughs> Wheezy. I heard a bloop. Maybe that was... A that's wheezy him, that's him. That's Wheezy coming up, but he's got to unmute himself. <laughs> need to do. Uh, Hello, hey, hey there. What's happening? Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, so first, I just wanted to say, um, I've been watching you um from since Celebrity Rehab, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really cool. It shows a lot of link, um, longevity. You know, um, I can't think of many things in my life that I can still point back from that long ago, besides maybe like 
Pepsi or Coke. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just, good to know. Thank you. That's interesting. Yeah. So I just think that's really cool. Um, my, my question basically is like, I, I wonder if there's this bias, you know, that people have with the vaccine, you know, because I'm unvaccinated and I feel like it's much easier to convince me that the vaccines are harmful, you know, yeah. and like, you know, all those things. And I well, feel let's, like- Well, let's examine you know, it. Let's examine it. Let's try to break it down from a sort of a number. Okay. And if I and if I do something wrong, please, uh, those of you on the restream, set me straight here. So you're how old now? I'm 33. Okay. So the probability of severe COVID needing hospitalization, let's say, is remote, particularly with Omicron, particularly with the therapeutics we have, right? Like really like way less than 1%. And the probability right. of death is substantially less than that right? So it's a very, very, it's nasty. I'm not gonna tell you it's not nasty, but it's, it's not a high risk proposition for you. Otherwise, you're otherwise healthy. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I've had COVID twice. Yeah. How'd you do with it? Um, the first time it was literally nothing. I just felt really hot the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second time was about a month ago, I guess it was the newer variant. Yeah. And I, um, it was a little harder. I, um, mm -hmm. I didn't feel good and I'd lost my smell and taste, but it was nothing like, okay. I, I was so, never concerned. Right. So the question is, A, what further immunity do you need, which is a viable question. We don't know. Uh, you might be very immune for a sustained period of time, at least six months for sure, maybe a year. Then at what risk should you be vaccinated? What is that risk? Right. And what should that number be? You're a healthy person. At what risk should we risk making you unhealthy? Should it be right. a 1% vaccine adverse event rate? Should it be one one hundredth of a percent? I, I, you know, people that look at it more on the sort of one to 3% zone will point out that all of that's reversible too. It's, it's for the most part, not serious, which is true. This is all kind of true. So it's a really hard decision to make. I think most physicians would sort of make that decision with you. If you were super motivated to get the vaccine, you wanted to do the best you could with immunity, you wanted to travel, we'd probably go ahead and do it and, you know, take those risks because they're small. But you're well, um, you're you're wondering, should I put myself at any added risk given how well I've done with COVID? It's a very viable question. It's a reasonable question, yeah. right? I think I'm pretty dead set that I'm not gonna get it, but okay. I, I was just kind of wondering what's what's the like is there a bias that I'm holding, like when I take in information, like yes, well, you know, if there's this, yes, you know what I'm yeah, saying, like, yes, yes, compared to somebody that's that's yes. not compared to someone that is vaccinated. If you showed them, hey, yeah. the vaccines might be kind of dangerous, maybe they might not listen to it as much because they got it, so they're like, oh, I don't want to hear any of that. Correct, or or they are, they see, they have an, a perspective that that is strictly epidemiological, and they're worried about you know, large scale, you know, spreading and what might happen in a spread. And, and so, well, yeah, sure. yeah, we all have biases. I, I was, I was thinking about my own bias. I mean, I get biased by these conversations we have and I have to step outside of them and go, okay, just, just try to look at all the perspectives, try to read all the literature there is. And it, it you're doing the, you're doing the job. You're doing what you're supposed to do easy. That, that is, uh, you know, you're, you're thinking clearly and you're trying to think it through and you're, you're watching your bias, but we all have biases. We all do. That's just the way it is. Uh, again, you guys raise your hand. If I you found out um, what happened to Lucas's grandparents. Okay, what happened? They both had the vaccine and had a stroke. Okay, so died. we don't, you know, hard to know. Hard to know. How, and we how old they were? No. 
We yeah. don't know that yet. And we don't know the time I didn't frame. Do a, I didn't do a complete. Yeah. And, uh, I wasn't, didn't do a medical evaluation on it. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? I who suck knows? as a nurse. See, I, that, that I've is, always told you that. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm aware of it. But and that is, <laughs> and that is the that is the problem with observation. Okay. So I've so told you how enthusiastic I am about my clinical experience. My clinical experience includes hundreds of cases, right? Lots and lots of cases. I, I you haven't heard me. Through most of the early part of the pandemic, I didn't talk about my clinical experience because none of us had any yet, or at least it, it was, you know, in isolated settings like in the hospital or whatever, uh, or in the ER, whatever it might be. And, and you had some dying. It was really sad. Yeah, yeah, but it happens. Absolutely, it's a, it's a terrible illness, and, and particularly for certain older subsets. I mean, it's throw you under the bus, but people with uh, and I've seen young people get Omicron with the pulmonary emboli and clots and all kinds of things. And there are people wondering about strokes and heart attacks. But here's the thing. Association, you know, temporal association is not causation. So, you know, somebody has a vaccine and then a few weeks later they die that it may or may not have something to do with it. I've not seen anything like that, nothing like that. And I have vaccinated hundreds of elderly patients, hundreds. And they have all benefited because a lot of them have got COVID subsequently. And the COVID has been not that big a deal. And we've used Plaxlovid, et cetera. And they've certainly all stayed out of the hospital. But um, but it's a, it's a question. I, I'm not telling you you're wrong. You, I think your concerns need to be actively addressed. And we have to look at this data very, very carefully to see what is that number. In other words, had your parents, grandparents gotten COVID, they were debilitated at advanced age. The probability of bad outcome was high. The probability of vaccine giving them ba bad outcome, I, I can tell you again, just from clinical experience, is low. And if they had a bad outcome, you know, one of the things you Maybe got, you know, here's something that we've got to all understand, and this is really hard, which is that if if we have a probability, this is, you listen to me very carefully. Let me say, let me, uh, let, let's say, I say there's a three out of five chance that they, I'm just making up numbers, uh, that they would die of COVID and they get COVID and do fine. My numbers weren't necessarily wrong. They might have been, but I'm not, but the fact that they didn't die doesn't make my numbers wrong. They were just in that 40% that didn't get it. Same, same thing with vaccine. If we say 1% of vaccine therapy, and I, this again, I'm making up numbers, are likely to have an adverse event, that means 99% are not, which means everybody's not but somebody is again wasn't necessarily the wrong thing to vaccinate to put people at risk of a one percent complication rate this is the hard part that people can't get is how to make that risk assessment and that and that one percent of adverse event in an 80 year old generally seems to be milder and of less consequence and definitely cause less years of life lost than the risk to a 24-year-old who would have 75 years of life lost and change the trajectory of an entire life and the adverse experiences there have been a little more concerning. So it's a complicated question. These are complicated questions. And uh, let me keep taking some questions here. Okay, thank you guys. So Wendy and Costa Rica Four Seasons, which is one of my favorite hotels, um, said, has anyone's health or immune system improved since getting the mRNA vaccines? Where Great is question. that study? Great question. I, I don't know how you would measure that, right? Would Mine's you, gotten worse. We think, maybe. 
So how would you measure that? You know, I don't know how you'd measure that. I don't even know how you would do that study. It's, you know, are you, you know, people prone to bacterial infections or would you look at skin infections or would you look at number of upper respiratory infections? I guess you could. I mean, you could look at number of upper respiratory infections in a vaccinated versus non-vaccinated group and see who has more. That's kind of a simple study. And again, that's not a very, it's not a very, you know, they're going to learn much from that study, but it'd be interesting. I agree with you. Uh, let's get Shannon up here. Shannon, what's up? Hi. Hey. Hi, how are you guys? Good. Okay, so um, I uh, did, I came off an airplane in uh, February of 2020. Um, and about seven days later, um, I had diarrhea, diarrhea fever, fatigue. This lasted for three weeks. I was kind of in denial. At that point, you could not get tested. Mm. Um, and I, know, I did not get an antibody test. Um, however, um, in the summer... Um, I started to get an irregular heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also had, which I believe is COVID toes, just, um, you know, the feeling of numbness in my toes. Those were the only things that I feel that, um, you know, uh, were odd, um, you know, that it just popped up out of nowhere. Um, and then I, uh, of course, mentioned this to my doctor. I did get an EKG, but at that point, my heart was acting properly. Mm -hmm. So um, my question is, now I have been, um, I, I did get vaxxed the following year in March, and then the booster 30 days later, and then another booster in November. Um, and the craziest thing is that the uh, irregular heartbeat actually um, ceased in October of last year, but... Um, I believe I probably got COVID again, and, and there's, there's so many layers to this, but I, I don't think I had the right let's, enough let's get, antibodies. Let's get right to your, what is the question exactly? So the question is, is how do you, um, how are the doctors diagnosing long COVID? Uh, um, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, we don't have categorical agreement on what long COVID even is. Uh, let alone, so. let alone diagnostic criteria for long COVID. It, it's a, it's kind of a mess. I, I understand how okay. frustrating that can be. Most people are looking at things like fatigue and fog, but there certainly are other things for sure. Um, and cardiac stuff is definitely one of them. And it, really, the reality probably is that it's mostly the spike protein doing all this, and whether whether it's the vaccine or the COVID itself, you're kind of getting some of the same stuff. I've seen long COVID from the vaccine. I've certainly seen long COVID from COVID. Uh, and okay. that may be what you have. The You know, people talk about, you know, persistent spike protein in the myocardium and all this stuff. As long as the structurally the performance of your heart is okay, I, I want to just sort of emphasize that the body has tremendous healing abilities. And generally speaking, I expect stuff to heal. The The question in the meantime is how much misery do you have to go through? How much disability and misery, and that's a very serious question. Uh, and and we we again, I would refer you to covidlonghaulers.com, where Dr. Yogendra okay. and uh, Dr. Patterson are really working on some treatments there, and have had some good outcomes. I spoke to Dr. Yogendra yesterday. I, I spoke to everybody yesterday. <laughs> I suddenly was on the phone all day, and um, and uh, he was talking about telling me about updating me on some of the, um, the successes they're having. So I, I think a good idea is to head over to there and, um, uh, it's still kind of a mess, still sort of a mess there though. So thank you, Shannon. I think it was Shannon. Uh, and let's get Dan up here as a speaker, uh, questioner. Dan, go ahead. 
Let me look at the restream while Dan is getting up here. Yes, Minnesota um, nurses went on strike today. No brainwashed liberal dumb cunt says. Whoa, that's somebody's name. Whoa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whoa. I know I had to read it. It was okay. kind of funny. Okay. You could have left off the dumb C part, but okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. That it's this is real. sure gonna do is sure gonna really make uh uh Caleb's conversation with YouTube tomorrow it's, more comfortable. Thank you for real, doing that. It's real on Rumble. It's real on Rumble. Over okay, there. good. Okay. How to obtain okay, how to obtain infirmed consent when the FDA wants 75 years to release the data. Yeah, I know. These are these are this is why I talk to lots of different people. Uh informed consent is an issue in all of this, of course. Uh, it should and, be not so dumb, see. And the and what I and that's another thing. By the way, I told uh, Christina, the president of the medical board, I said, "Look, here's how I would have talked to a 24 year old." And I and I and I told her all these kinds of concerns and things we're bringing up today. And I said, "That's how I would talk to a 24 year old. That is not standard of care." And she went, "Yeah, but that's good medical practice, and we're not certainly not going after anybody for good medical practice." So, Dan, you can unmute your speaker there and uh, have at it. I see your hand up. Hello. Uh, right. So I am uh, completely unvaccinated and completely unboosted. And I have one question for you, and I really hope you can answer it for I me. may not, um, but let's because, see. Let's see what it is. Because of your profession. So the question that I've got is, how long did the NIH use ivermectin on clinical trial patients before it was suppressed? Before it was suppressed, well, I, we've been using this medication forever on patients. It's been a you know it's an anti-helminthic medication we use for worms and 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 the uh, the CDC has had and still has a mandate that anyone who comes into this country who is from a refugee country and they have a list of a hundred countries there, uh, you are required to take a week of ivermectin. So I'm not quite sure what you're asking. Well, it's. The reason I'm asking it is because of the bombardment that Joe Rogan faced mm. nationally and globally mm, mm, mm. for defeating his own. D Dan, COVID Dan, let me, let me tell you something. So I talked to Joe. I, I talked to Joe about this very issue. And I said, look, I said, I told him my experience, which is that I'm, this drug doesn't really seem to do much, but your doctor did something completely outside the box, which no one commented on, which was they gave him two. Uh, and, um, oh crap, I'm blanking on the, I just do this once in a while. The, um, these infusions, uh, monoclonal. No, 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 no. The true niogen activates the same system. NAD. NAD infusions. Thank you, Susan. Nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. He gave two <laughs> NAD times. infusions. That's crazy, aggressive, and completely outside the box. And I said, and I asked Joe, how did you how did that make you feel? He goes, that really helped me. I go, God, that is fascinating. That's a fascinating intervention that was the was the most outside of the standard of care that anything that Joe got. Yet because the the press is preoccupied with a drug or a couple of drugs that they just learned how to pronounce, that's why they put their focus there. And that's insane. That's insane. So I am with you on your sort of yeah, I'm I'm striking back. I, I'm with you on raising this issue because if you want to take issue with what Dr. with Joe Rogan's doctor did, you would go NAD infusion. That is crazy. Where did you get? That's not a standard of care anywhere. How did you get to that? Why did you do that? And Joe, it worked. Have you tried it elsewhere? What's going on? Would you address the other thing because it's there's no big downside to. I, it doesn't really work, but whatever. 
So I'm I'm so tired. I'm so tired of people having opinions about not you, sir, but the you know the world, the press world, just because they learned how to pronounce the name of a medication. By the way, both medications I've used for years. I worked a lot with the, uh, the El Salvador uh, civil war, and so people were coming up with worms all the time. Those little ivermectin came in right out on the heels of that, and uh, hydroxychloroquine. I've been using. S Susan, you have a friend who's been on it for years. Do you know that? Who I Linda Blood? Oh, well, she too. We have two friends that have been on it for years. But let's not out people's medical stuff. Right. I'm just saying she wouldn't care. that that's how that's how common this stuff is. You have two friends. When you, I guess if you have lupus, it's. But anyway, thank you for the Beach Angel. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, oh, I didn't see that. Where said, was that? I'm gonna go on my extern as pharmacy tech and hospital. They are allowing one with spiritual beliefs to be exempt from having to get the vaccine. Oh, that's interesting. I think well, she's asking so as a question. Go. I think she said, are they allowing they? one with spiritual beast? Yeah. I'm, I oh, boy. I, yeah. I have talked to people who've tried to get spiritual exemptions, and you literally have to... Oh, are they? Sorry, yeah, I can't read. You literally... It, it, it exists. People can get it. But you literally have to document your spiritual practices and clergy and Wait. have testimonials and have a COVID and, test every week, or including something. when it started and what churches you've attended and you get ready for a four page document. Oh, God. Uh, but people do get that. So it's out there. Nadine, we see you there. What's going on? Hi there. Uh, Dr. Drew. I'm uh, Nadine Ness. I'm from Canada. So not California. Good. But my husband's Lucky you. a, <laughs> I don't know if that if I'm lucky or not. We do have a bit of a tyrant running the country. But um I know I don't have anything regarding California, but my husband's a family physician. Oh good. I run one of the biggest kind of against mandate group in the province. We're not against vaccine. We're just against the segregation mandate, and division. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mandates. I get that. And um my husband came under fire when we kind of became public and grew really big really fast mm. uh, because of the things that I was saying, <laughs> not necessarily things he was saying. Mm -hmm. But um, as a medical professional, when you're speaking outside the box, do you have any advice for doctors who, who start speaking outside the box on how to handle all that pressure oh. and not letting it get to you? And, and how do you fight back? <laughs> you, you can't, so really. You can't. You can only sort of stay safe. And, and you, have to, you have to really follow your compass, your moral compass and your clinical compass. You have to be very clear where due north is. And if you can't see it, check yourself. Check yourself. Uh, you know, qualify anything you say, you know, sort of to contextualize anything you say, try to try to not take too, you know, m my mistake, uh, the thing I learned more than anything else during this pandemic is how hubris can make you, how aggression and hubris can make you sound silly. Uh, and, and I was, I was really fighting against the panic at the beginning and I did it. I was, I was, I could see what was coming and it made me angry. And I, everything we're talking about here made me really upset and angry. And it came out in ways that not right, not good. I, I, I learned how to, as a result of that, I learned how to um, never become hubristic. And that's sort of what we're trained in medicine. Never say always or never, you know, they just don't do that. Always try to qualify things and be, have some equanimity in everything you do. That's it. I learned that. And uh, even though I was right in terms of my intention and my, my instinct about what was happening, 
the form it took because of hubris was wrong. And so make sure the compass is straight on. And if you're clear and sure, do what is right, but do what you can to protect yourself, which means, you know, getting supportive peers where you can, uh, like, you know, if you have, I'm sure you have something like the medical board contacting them, you know, ahead of time to sort of say, you know, I, my intentions are good here, but I have a difference of opinion and um, see what you can do. What Do you want to tell us what happened? So maybe I can tell you a little more specifically. Yeah, it's, um, I live in Saskatchewan. The, the College of Physicians actually did a mandate where every doctor in the province who weren't fully vaccinated mm -hmm. had to disclose to their patients mm prior to their patients coming in. So they had to have like a big flyer in their office if mm -hmm. they weren't fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And I think when when I kind of spoke out, I had some videos that went viral. I had a lot of influence in the province with the premier and stuff. So Is, are they, they now, given that vaccined, vaccinated individuals don't change the risk to the patients, uh, we don't think, maybe if he were sick, he really doesn't change the risk to the patients because once he gets sick, he pulls himself out, I'm sure. So the, there's no, there's really all, essentially no such thing as asymptomatic spread and vaccinated patients are as likely to spread as unvaccinated pa patients. So did you get a apology from the, uh, from the powers of no, being? No, of course not. The policies is still in place. Of course not. <laughs> we, well, the, but we, the point is the policy, and yeah. this is, it's another lesson in how long bureaucracies take to change direction. It's insane. They can't, they can't change direction. Physicians change direction, their opinions, ideas right away. Bureaucracies, oh my God. That's another thing I've learned during, during this pandemic. So they will change. It will change. Uh, you will be vindicated. Uh, I, I think, you know, having that, thankfully it's not that intrusive of a thing that this flyer has to be put up. I would, I would put, if I were him and had strong feelings, I am vaccinated, but if I really was a, you know, absolutely clear on what I was doing, I would, you know, fine, here's my, here's my flyer. But it is, it is, have you seen, have you noticed what's going on in France? I know Canada is very connected to France. Have you noticed what's going on there? No, I have not. The youth, Enlighten us. There, there was a youth <laughs> uprising when we were there a year ago, and it was extremely inspiring. They were in the streets every Friday and Saturday night complaining, like really complaining somewhat violently, that they were young and told that the risk of the illness was mild, and now they were going to be mandated to put something in their body, not a foundational principle of the republic in which they lived. And they they really, they, they, they were... I mean, they were exercising, right? This is important. They, whenever I'd bring it up, they'd, they'd come out from wherever they were behind a ticket counter and go, you, this is important. The vive la liberté, you know, this is, this is a violation of basic principle of this country. And, uh, and now France looks pretty reasonable to me, by the way. Right? And, they've, and France, by the way, has always relied heavily on testing as opposed to mandates on vaccines. And good, good for them. Fine. They found it a reasonable way through. And um, I don't know, maybe there's something to be learned there to keep an eye on it. You still there, Nadine? Yeah, yeah. The, there were several things they did too. They like some of the things that uh, the complaints were were bogus. That he was anti-vax or or yeah, I know they just go they patients. go. It they, wasn't even true. I know what they do here <laughs> but, is that this is yeah. the thing. This is one of the reasons, by the way. I I I want to stay temperate in my approach to all this and reach out to people that disagree and you know try to create consensus is because the weirdest thing in the world is if you go, hmm, I'm not sure a 17-year-old needs a vaccine, you voted for Trump. 
you're an anti-vaxxer. It's like, what, where, where did that come from? What is that? What is that? That is the most insane thing ever. And that and people should be ashamed of themselves for that kind of ridiculousness. So that's where, how it, the form it takes down here. Yeah. So good. Just, just keep um, explaining yourself, adjusting course, you know, just keep that compass right in front of keep you all your the head time. High. Keep your head high. Um, and, let and it know go this, off your shoulders. And know this, Nadine, that Susan, you bear, bear me up on this. Um, you will get attacked from both sides, right? So I get attacked from both sides, right? I'm, I'm called somebody that pushes the vaccine and somebody who's anti-vax at the same time. <laughs> so anybody that has a nuanced approach to anything is not somebody participating in this, frankly, borderline process that we have in these countries now, which things are all one way and all the other. That is the most primitive psychology we have as human beings, black and white thinking. It is a, a, a manifestation of personality disorders, the worst ones. So stop doing it, everybody, and start to develop more nuanced approach to the thing. Just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean they're all on the other side. Susan, bear me up. Right. Right. 50-50. Well, that's our country. Fifty percent well, is against. Fifty percent right, is for. Right, but you're but you're gonna get you're gonna get clobbered from all sides. It's, it's true. Okay, it so one of and our you got to get used to it. You one of our faithful females from Facebook, who who we we love our ladies over there, um, yeah. had a question. I think it's Ashley telling. She she wanted to know first of all how to call in, and I want to just let everybody know since mm. I have you all here on the okay. line. Yes, we're on Twitter Spaces, so when we go live. If you go to Dr. Drew's Twitter, his his head lights up in the corner of his icon. So you just click on that, and then you can listen to the show, and you can also ask your question if you raise your hand. It's like Clubhouse, but it's free. Yeah, You don't have to be invited. But Ashley's question was she wanted to know if she should get every breast lump checked, even if the last one was benign. Well, you, you know, you can have polycystic breasts. You can, have multi, you can be a cyst former, and there's different versions of that. The biggest problem with the multiple cyst formation is it's hard to feel tumors. It's hard to feel, it's, it can be difficult. And you certainly will not be able to do that. Uh, so the, the lumpy breast problem is sort of a diagnostic issue. And, and the way I normally have people deal with that is first of all, regular checkups by somebody who knows that what it feels like to find a tumor and all that. And you might do more, again, depending on your family history and that kind of thing, you might do more than the usual mammographic screening. You might do some ultrasounds on top of that, or what's called a cine, a cine um, ultrasound. Um, but it's it's really about staying vigilant. It's not about you reacting to every cyst you feel. Don't do that. And 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 by the way, the tender ones, the ones that bother you, tends to be less likely to be the problem ones. So it's the little hard ones that are hard to find that are, that are the issue. So yeah, just uh, make sure a, a physician is monitoring you very, very carefully and you, you can easily stay on top of it. That's a good question. Um, I am sort of running out of steam here, guys. Let me um, see what you guys are also, saying. Also, I want to let everybody know on these platforms that if you go to the bio or the the blurb that we put up mm -hmm. above the video, mm -hmm. there's always a link there to the Twitter spaces or other platforms. Say that again so people... So like, you know, when... Caleb puts together this beautiful bio, like, or informative blurb at the beginning of every video, and the link should be in there. So if you just go to the, the um, go to the Facebook and find it, you can click right through to the Twitter spaces. Okay. 
They're getting uh, very cantankerous over on uh, the Rumble Rant. Uh, <laughs> that's that's my Rumblers. City uh, City. <laughs> oh, shoot. I lost. Oh, there it is. What's going on over there? It's just I, I'm having trouble following it, actually. I can't tell. Yeah, um, we only see the bad ones. You look at all the I, I really, I'm not even, I can't even follow it. I'm trying to understand what their issues are. I know. Are, they, so. love to, they love to rumble among themselves. Okay, let me get John up here. John, go ahead. John. John. <laughs> He's there. Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, John. How's it going? Up? What's going on, man? What's up? Hey, uh, first time, long time. Been listening since the uh, old, uh, <laughs> the uh, 90s, uh, Love Line. Wow, so, way back. Yeah, yeah. great to talk to you. Um, well. Kind of dovetailing off of, uh, you know, the COVID stuff. Um, yeah, my fiance was uh, uh, diagnosed with long COVID uh, last year. She had she had um, had it back in February mm. of last year. So it wasn't, it was probably the alpha or beta variants, but mm. um, we're up in Michigan and we went to the University of Michigan COVID clinic and we're there for four hours doing all sorts of questions and sheets and seeing five different doctors. And mm -hmm. uh, long story short is she, she, what's hitting her the most is chronic fatigue. Yeah. That's the big um, one. That's the big one. Yep. Yeah. So I guess my, my question is what, you know, they gave us some tips, but do you have any, any, anything to add to what she can do to, you know, shake that? Cause I know it's kind of, my mom suffers from it too. And she had the Epstein-Barr virus in the, in the eighties. That's how she thinks she got it. But, um, just want to kind of pick your brain out what you think, uh, we could do to maybe alleviate that with maybe. Yes. The, the, I, you know, I had it bad for several months and for me, this is my experience uh, fluvoxamine worked amazingly. Now I've since prescribed. Got dogs here. <laughs> Somebody's um, here. Yeah, I, I've since prescribed it, it a number of times and have not really seen that good a result in other people. Uh, certainly nothing like what I experienced, but that is one possibility. I know that uh, Dr. Yogendra over at uh, the COVID Long Haulers organization are using a lot of Maravarac, but they don't have data yet to substantiate that. I also know that people are beginning to try. Molnupiravir and Paxlovid also in long haulers. Uh, I don't have any off the top of my head uh, knowledge of where those studies are being done, but I know that's being talked about. So those are really the kind of the big three. Also, uh, for a while they were using um, statins. I think they're using statin, like pravastatin, and having good results with that. Strangely, um, so uh, that's the stuff. And the in terms of order of um, Safety. I mean, fluvoxamine is such a safe medicine. It doesn't do anything. I, I had, I wasn't even aware I was taking it. All I knew is that I had more energy and my ring in my ear stopped. Uh, like within 30 minutes of the first dose, it was very, really quite striking. And it's funny, I had to do a television program um, when I was in the middle of this long haul stuff. It was sort of the tail end of it. It was after I, I kept trying to stop the fluvoxamine and I, my co-host on the teen mom thing looked at me and went, you are you are not right. You're sinking. And I thought, oh, I, I got to take the fluvoxamine. And it helped right then again. So, you know. So how I, do you, how, how would we go about even, because this kind of ties into the whole BS going on. It's sometimes it's tough to bring this stuff up because, yeah. oh, you must be listening to those wacky crazies yeah. online that are trying to prescribe shit. And, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, aside from medication, is there anything that she can do also? I mean, they, they gave her some natural tips of trying to like, work up. I mean, long story short, she was avid exerciser a couple of years before this, yep, yep. you know, doing tons of Pilates, lots of working out. And it's just, 
she can't do that stuff anymore. It just knocks her out. Even doing some bigger events, like if we go, like if we go for, you know, do a little exercise and then we got to go to a family event or something like that, it just sometimes wipes her out the next day. It comes out of nowhere. I know it happened to me. It happened because she feels totally normal. She feels totally normal when doing the activity Mm. and then wipes you out the next day. Yeah. Well, people that are how long? How long ago would this start? Uh, well, she had the COVID in, uh, last year, February, and then not long after was when she just noticed I, I don't have the stamina I used to. So it's to. been like six, seven months, something like That's that. That's crazy. No, 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 no. A year, a oh, year, year and, and a half. Seven months. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. That's real. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's very yeah, real. Yeah. I dealt with a lot of chronic Epstein-Barr back in the day and attending to sleep getting making sure sleep hygiene is proper. Uh, and again, sometimes that's medication too. And exercising again, you know, forcing the issue, but finding some sort of happy medium where the day isn't ended because of the exercise you try to do. I, I, I don't have, I've not seen a lot of, you know, there are also, you know, there was, do you remember the beginning of all this? There was a lot of emphasis on the autonomic nervous system being affected by COVID. Yeah. And there was a lot of breathing exercises being done. Um, you know, I don't know one breathing over another, whether you'd go with Wim Hof or go with, some sort of um, yoga type breathing, but I, I think br- breathing for a long time was the focus of a lot of this treatment. So you can always try that. Yeah, that's that's good. So is this just kind of like? I mean, I, it sounds like the the way COVID and the way the spike protein still hanging around the body that's right. affecting the that, nervous system and the nerves. Really, is that what it is? That is the current theory, or the tri- triggering starts- some immune thing. I mean, they the again the COVID long haulers have found these persistent monocyte spike proteins, which are monocytes that are supposed to go through a normal life cycle and die. They aren't dying so for some reason, and the persistence of the spike protein is what's causing that for some reason. Yeah, the other thing I forgot to add was that her t- her taste and smell is maybe fifty percent, and it's mm-hmm. sometimes non-existent on one day, and sometimes she'll say, "Hey, I smelled this" or whatever. It's so her taste and smell has been going back and forth between almost nothing and kind of normal for the last year. And if if my experience is any of any use, I I also you know started working my brain in certain ways, learning languages, and I was exercising, and eventually I kind of broke through. Um, you know, I would talk to your somebody's somebody's got to listen to you out there about the possibility of at least something simple like fluvoxamine. It's just such a simple intervention. Yeah. You know, fifty milligrams or hundred. I wish Doctor Yo wasn't so busy. I'd I'd send people over to covidlonghaulers.com, but I think they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed because I texted him because I want to know how um, our buddy uh, Dave Navarro is doing, and because mm. you know, because Joe texted me and asked me, but um. But nobody responded, so mm. I'm sure. Well, that's all sort of, personal, you know. It's all. It's so I know, stuff. but I think they're no. I asked. I asked Dave how he's ah. doing, but um, he's just they're so overwhelmed because so many people have it. It's just yeah. ridiculous. All right. I want to have him back on the show because maybe we can we can dive into it and help more people. Yeah, yeah. We'll get Yogender back. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah. Sure. I already said that, but okay, I don't good. Know. He's okay. also he's also an anesthesiologist. So right, he's, he's also working. Yeah. Although mostly, I talked to him yesterday. Most of his time is spent um, doing this stuff now. So here's the deal. Uh, I want to wrap this up. Uh, we are going to talk to another uh, significant figure on Wednesday. It's going to be Dr. Harvey Reich. Reich, Reich, I think it's pronounced the name. He is an epidemiologist, and uh, I am not, and so I'm anxious to get some of his. Um, wisdom and see what he has to tell us. There is Dr. Harvey Reich. Dr. Victor, of course, will be here with me on that. 
We will uh, also be in here tomorrow. Is that correct? Yes, we'll yes. be in here tomorrow. Doing calls again. And uh, all right, we'll do more of this tomorrow. Traveling. And... You're going out of town Thursday, Friday, so correct. it's going to be an early week this week. Right. We're going to end it on Wednesday. You're going to go do Tim Pool. Yeah, Tim Pool, and I don't know what to expect. He I, wants to know again, about I being would, censored, what it feels like. You know, it, it's I am I am willing to do podcasts on any side of the spectrum. You know, what I mean, I don't. I just keep getting invited in a certain direction. I I am, I am a moderate. I'm right in the middle of everything, and so you know, I'm, I can go hang out with both sides. I have no problem with that. The extremes on both sides are what I have issue with. Then then even then I would uh, chat with people I and mean, I would sit and talk with them. But those are the people that are causing the problem. The rest of us are kind of hanging out in the middle. Uh, let me look quickly at the, um, somebody saying we need more debate, always. NAC, the N-acetylcysteine is great for a lot of things. Uh, Deb, I agree with that. I take it every day. Uh, uh, let's see. Thanks, Adrian Susan. You bet, Wendy. Thank you. Uh, I got wrong, long COVID, I think you mean. Oh, Wendy in Costa Rica four season. She said she was with the... Um, with the raccoon, feeding the raccoon. Yeah. So, all right, let's tell that story real quick. So we were at dinner at the steakhouse there at that restaurant. Uh, oh, what new mRNA paper, uh, Caleb? I don't know. Uh, I'll tell I the had, story while you... It, I had I had emailed it uh, to you, and I didn't know for sure if you were going to talk about it tomorrow. There was a, like a, possibly a preprint that came up. I think it's pronounced Elsevier. Uh, about serious adverse events of special interest following mRNA randomized trials in adults. It, it, I believe it's being published on the 22nd of September, but I, I didn't know if you had That's not if the you one. I can there show you. There was one this, that was just, well, one. yeah, send it to me again. There it is. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Uh, special interest. Yeah, let's do it. Let's check it out. I'll read it carefully and we'll talk about it tomorrow. But uh, we were sitting having dinner and all of a sudden this like a monster walked up to us. It looked like man bear pig right out of. Uh, it was a raccoon that looked that had a long tail, looked like skinny a skinny tail, like a, a look up cat. Look up, Caleb. Uh, and raccoon, a pointy nose. Raccoon Costa Rica. And it looked like large, Rex. Giant it looked like raccoon. our dog Rex. Yeah, it had kind raccoon. of a cute face like Rex, and but it had this like. I it looked like a raccoon happened. slash. Yes, and bear. So, is it just a, so a large Costa Rica about, raccoon? Essentially, essentially, it's. I don't know I, what it's called. I called it man bear pig. They apparently are all over the place. Um, They're so but, cute. But we though. had a very, very strange. There it is. Uh, no, 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 no. Kind much, of like the one on the of, top much, left. Much bigger, much bigger. But it had a really long snout. It looked like a, more like a slough, a sloth. Yeah, it had like a really long snout, like a like an anteater almost. Mm, like. Yes. Yeah. It was cute. So, um, any event, we uh, got it. We went. Uh, oh yeah, that's it. That middle one. Yeah. If That's you ever want a nice vacation, go to the That's Four it. Seasons in Costa Rica. That's it's it. pretty fucking amazing. That's it. We were there for two Look, days. Scroll down, see if you can. That's a small one. They are. They get big. Yeah, that's him. But imagine that about size of a Great Dane. That's sort of what we were. <laughs> the right? tail. And yeah. they were just sitting there eating the fruit. Yeah. Everybody was throwing them fruit. And Any event, we uh, to get down to that uh, particular restaurant, we got in a van. To drive down there, and we met a couple <laughs> in there from Travers, Michigan. They took their hand as Michiganites do, and said, "Oh, Travers, you know," and um, and we started talking about what we were all doing down there and stuff. And uh, then we went to dinner. Didn't think anything of it. I the next night was cast out. The two nights later, I had to go to Austin, Texas. I was cast out of the hotel that I was supposed to be at because they gave my room away. I ended up in another hotel. It's now twelve thirty in the morning, <laughs> and I I walk into the lobby at this new hotel that I wasn't even supposed to be at. And this man walks up to me and goes, 
I was in a in a van with you two nights ago in Costa Rica. <laughs> this guy and of Traverse, course, you didn't get his information. I'm like, that was kismet. You're supposed to like get each other's info. Although he could find us anywhere. Yeah. But yeah. I know I wasn't with him. So. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. Thank I liked you his wife, though. They were, they wanted to come to dinner with us, remember? <laughs> yes, they went down to the marina. Yeah. Uh, we will be back again tomorrow. Those of you I did not get to today, I apologize. I'll get to you tomorrow. And for more questions, and the, we'll talk about Wendy that. Wendy in, in Costa Rica for season says, Posoto Solo is what the waiters called it because he's he's all alone. Oh, they, they know the very one. Posoto Solo. Yeah, that's what there is. Apparently one that was cast out by the community, and we, we they sort of feed him there at the, uh, at the steakhouse. Oh, my no. God, that's too funny. Posoto solo. So translate that for us, somebody. I don't, okay. I don't know what posoto means. All right. So possum. I don't know. Solo. I'm posting a photo of it. On alone means solo means alone. So. What's that? Say it again. I'm posting a photo I'm of it on uh, drdrew.com. Oh. Well, all the stuff that you discussed today, <laughs> as usual. Next but to also Camden. That, right. Exactly. That photo. Camden uh, riding it. Camden for the on top <laughs> I should photo for the podcast listeners. They can see the photos and stuff at drdrew.com slash nine one two two zero two two. So it's nine twelve twenty twenty two. Great, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow at three o'clock. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Hey.